And again, we love the sport of football. And that's what drove us even more than any business decision, because actually when we bought the Vikings, it was losing money. Um, it was about something we were passionate about and something we were really excited about. I'm going with the flow, and thank you, Falaron. All right, everybody. Welcome to another special episode of Go With The Flow. I'm your host, Falaron Okulaja. Another week, another very, very exciting guest that I have with me today. I have Mark Wilf, the president and co-owner of the Minnesota Vikings, and the chairman and co-owner of the Orlando City FC and co-owner of the Orlando Pride. And so, first of all, thank you for being with me today, Mr. Wolf. <laughs> um, please, great to be with you and call me Mark. Thank you. Thank you. We'll do. And I think a great place for us to start is with Princeton and Princeton reunions, because whenever I have guests like yourself on, people are always like, oh, how did you get him to come on your podcast? And so at reunions this past year, a few months ago, I went to a panel that you were speaking on. And then I was that was the only one that I was actually interested in going to all weekend. And I'm very glad that I did. And I really enjoyed it. And after you were done, you were very gracious with your time. You stopped for a few seconds. And I said, would you mind coming on my podcast? You said yes. And now here we are a few months later and so my first question for you is how often are you able to make it to Princeton reunions and is that something that you prioritize well I, I do get back to Princeton pretty often because I live uh, about an hour away up in northern New Jersey so it's pretty easy and I, I do stay involved I'm on, involved with the athletic board at Princeton Varsity Club and on the president's council so I have time and the center for Jewish life so there are a few involvements I have uh, with the uh, university that I, I do like to stop over. And then reunions, I'll go uh, probably typically uh, every fifth year, like most people do. So I don't have uh, the uh, absence of touching Princeton as, as other people do. So I'm very fortunate that way. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, John Mack, the athletic director, was the one who was hosting the panel that you were on. And he was actually the first episode in this alumni series that I'm doing. So full circle where he was the first and now you were the last episode. But then so after graduating from Princeton, you went to NYU Law School. And then after that, you went into work in your family's real estate business. When right. you were graduating both Princeton and NYU, was that always a path that you wanted to go into? Or was there other other things on the table? And that's just where you sort of ended up after all. I think more of the latter, there were other things on the table. I did have a, uh, I was a computer engineering major back when electrical engineering and computer science were together. So uh, I did have some thoughts of maybe uh, doing some things in the tech world, but then uh, kind of switched gears, got a law degree. Once I got into law practice, though, I pretty much was set that uh, the real estate family business was where I was heading. So uh, it's quite, it was quite a magnet and maintains my interest and involvement to this day. And what made you choose engineering? Because I actually started off Princeton as a CBX chemical and biological engineering major, ended up as neuroscience. But so what made you decide to major in engineering? I, I just, I loved computer programming. I was mathematically oriented and uh, that's kind of kind of where I fell. And uh, I just love the, uh, I, was, I was just passionate about the idea that you could take just words or directions and command the machine and make it do things that could be really effective and productive and this was very early on in, in that, that whole world and look where it's gotten the whole world. So now moving on a few years, um, when did you first have a general interest in even be being involved in sports team? So not even thinking of ownership, which is a much different level. At what point did the general interest in sports even happen for you? Uh, 
Um, this goes back, you know, um, my parents uh, and grandparents were immigrants, Holocaust survivors uh, from Poland, and uh, they came to the United States. There was always a great, a tremendous gratitude for the opportunity here in America. And uh, part of that growing up was going to sporting events. We went to New York Giants football games, Rangers hockey games, all things sports. That was a lot of our family bonding around that. And so something I always this was passionate about and going to Princeton and uh, I got involved with the radio station, WPRB, and uh, did the news, then did sports, was play-by-play -play announcer for football and basketball. So always like to be around athletics, the team uh, dynamic particularly, and like I said, always a big fan of football and what team and uh, the energy of, of team sports can bring. So uh, that's kind of how that led on the path that, that we ended up. Did you play any sports yourself growing up? I did not. I was on. I played some golf in high school and on the team there, but no, no, no teams. Well, that is a team sport, but not not a team dynamic like football, basketball, or baseball would have. So, yeah, for sure. And so you just mentioned that that's where the interest sparked. And now moving on to the next stage of when it was even a possibility for you to become uh, you and your brother becoming co-owners of the Vikings. What was that moment like for you? Because Kind of like I mentioned beforehand, a lot of kids growing up, that is the one thing where it's like, it would be so cool if I could potentially own yeah, my own sports it, team. <laughs> it was a distant dream. And again, like I said, my father and uncle were becoming successful over many years in the real estate business. And they had opportunities as early as the early 60s. Uh, they could have bought the New York Titans for $50,000, which ultimately became the New York Jets. They were offered the Philadelphia Eagles. And then uh, we actually were part of a group that was bidding on the Jets in 2000. And so when the Vikings opportunity came along in 05, uh, we were part of a group that was going to be investors, uh, minority investors in it. And in the middle of the contract period and the due diligence, uh, our lead partner was not able to fund the entire closing. So we stepped in as principals and managing partner and, and moved forward and bought the team in 2005. And how long would you say that process take from initial interest in putting that team together to signing the red line or the dotted line? And it, well, it that, being the particular the particular process with the Vikings was probably a, a year or so all in. But if you go back, it, it you know you can say all of it was part of a process. Uh, yeah, dipping toes in the water, talking about it, thinking about it, and again, we love the sport of football. And that's what drove us even more than any business decision, because actually when we bought the Vikings, it was losing money. Um, it was about something we were passionate about and something we were really excited about. And that is actually a perfect transition into my next question, which was about the operation of even running a professional sports team. And so you have teams like Barcelona in in soccer in Europe who are performing very well on the field, but very notably not doing too well financially. So you are the president of the Vikings. So what is that balance you try to strike between running a very financially successful business versus focusing more on the product of the field? What, it, what would you say that balance is? Well, again, when we purchased the team, it was about passion. And like I've said many times, um, ownership is a form of stewardship. It is a personal business asset, yes, uh, for our family. Uh, but it's also we recognize and know it's a beloved community asset. So um, and it, it the beauty is uh, making sure it's part of the community, making sure people care about it, make sure our team and staff reflect the values that the community wants to reflect, which is teamwork, positivity, success, uh, <clears throat> being first class in every way. 
uh, all those values contribute um, to the business side as well. Unfortunately, football is the kind of sport that millions watch every week. And uh, what was once a losing operation, thankfully, has been successful. And I think also it's successful because you have great partnership among all the teams. And while for three hours a week we're, we're, we're banging, banging away at trying to win a game, uh, we're a partnership and we, we share many things together and we work as a collective to grow the game and to grow the sport and to grow the business. So uh, the short version of it is it is a balancing act, but if we view ourselves as stewards and we keep the game great, uh, the business comes along as well. And so then <clears throat> um, we are, were able to see just as a casual fan that there are some franchises where the owners take a very hands-on approach with what the product on the field is and some take a more hands-off approach. So how is that? When when do you know when to be a little more involved with the team and when to just step back and let the GM and the head coaches do their job? Well, kind of like what we take from the real estate business. You know, we, we don't um, we know the most important part of any business is hiring great people who are knowledgeable and expert in what they do. And so whether that's the coach, the GM, uh, the chief operating officer, all the different individuals and the staff that puts it together, we want to make sure they're excellent. So we're involved. We're talking to the leadership almost pretty constantly for the 18 years we've been owning the team. But we also know what we don't know. So when it comes to picking players or making trades, we, there's great deference. We talk everything out. Our football leadership certainly runs things by us and talks things through, And they, especially when it comes to things like character of players or the kind of uh, product we put on the field, on and off the field. Uh, sometimes they'll 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 check with us on that type of thing, but by and large, it's about hiring great people that can really perform the way we want them to perform. And before we transition into those into exactly what you just mentioned, the personnel that you have just hired this in this uh, mm -hmm. most recent year, I just want to ask two questions about your over your, the last eighteen years that you've owned the Vikings. What would you say has been the most enjoyable experience your favorite game the one memory that just sticks out to you from your from your time since you've owned the team well there have been a lot of great memories but i'd have to say the uh the miracle catch uh in the playoff game against the saints uh case keenum stefan diggs it was a great moment and uh one i'll remember the rest of my life so uh when you when you snatch victory out of defeat like that it's always dramatic but with the stakes that high it was even better yeah, and that's one of those games where if you're watching it live, you always remember where you were. And I fully remember where I was for that moment as well. And I'm actually an Eagles fan. And then it was us meeting you in the next round. And then, you know, thankfully for us, unfortunately for you, we got the victory. But yeah, that game in particular is one of the coolest sports sports games that I've actually seen seen happen live. And then on the reverse end, what would you say is the most, the toughest loss, the one where you're like, we almost had it, that was on the verge of something, well, I, something great? I would say, you know, anytime you lose and the season ends, it's always bitter. So we've had, unfortunately, 18 ends of season. Um, uh, 17, I should say. This is our 18th season. <laughs> uh, but I would say um, the New Orleans Saints game, the championship game uh, back in the uh, Back in the day, uh, with Brett Favre as our quarterback, we had such a magical season, and uh, tended that way was certainly a bitter pill to swallow, and um, that that one stings quite a bit. Yeah, and that's the that's the beauty of sports, right there. They're, the highs are really high, and the lows are really lows, and that's kind of as a fan, all you can do is hope that 
when your team goes through it for a little bit, you end up one day on top, like I was able to have with the Eagles in 2018, one of the best days of my life. Hopefully, hopefully we can be back on top soon. Um, and so then e back to easy on those mentions, okay? <laughs> <laughs> did, did, do you know Quasey grew up an Eagles fan also? He actually mentioned that on my podcast. <laughs> yes, I, I assume so, being a South Jersey young man. But we're all purple now. My wife's from Philadelphia, so, you know, okay. we, all, we all have things that we have to reform. And yeah, <laughs> for some is something that needs to be worked on. <laughs> and so just speaking of Kwesi, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you are looking for the best of the best and you you're looking to entrust people when you're hiring them into new roles. You hired Kwesi as the general manager. Kevin O'Connell is the head coach. Could you just speak a little bit about what went into those different decisions and um, how they've been paying off so far? It's only been a few months, but just how how you felt about those hires so far? Well, we're, we remain as excited, even more excited now that they've gotten six or seven months here to work together and starting to build our football team for this season and beyond. So couldn't be more excited. We had a very thorough interview process. We scoured the world. And I mean, you talk about Kwesi, just a tremendous leader. He believes in connecting people, uh, building consensus, building relationships. And that's throughout the organization. Uh, of course, the Princeton background doesn't hurt. Uh, the unique background he had as a you know, variety of football experiences, life experiences, everywhere we talked about him, widely respected, well-liked. He really values people's input. He collects evidence. He, he gathers. He's a true leader. And his vision, long-term success and holding the course. And so an immediate impact and uh, couldn't be more thrilled with, with Quasey. And how do you see him working, working <clears throat> well with uh, Kevin O'Connell? Well, yeah, and Kevin, of course, as well, very similar in the sense of open communication, strong leadership presence. He's an innovative coach. He's a winner, played the game at all levels, a high football IQ. He connects great with his players. I've seen that in training camp and throughout our meetings, our OTAs, and just really respected. And like I said, he values the strong partnership. He's worked really well with Quasi. So for all the Viking fans out there, um, super excited. And so I actually was able to have the third or fourth episode of this series. I had Mark Shapiro on, who's the CEO of the Blue Jays. And he was, I asked him a very similar question. I asked how he is able to manage his expectations going into each new season. And he talked about how his first season, he remembers the very first game. He was the GM. He was very excited for the game. And then he was like, oh, this is a 182-game season. I can't get worked up. I need 160, to. 162. 162, One, sorry. Long 162. enough. <laughs> yeah, 162, yeah. And he was like, I need to learn how to manage my expectations over the course of the whole season. How would you say you manage that process of looking at it as, as a now 17-game season plus playoffs? Well, this and so goes how back you... to my, my New York Giant fandom. I mean, the beauty of the NFL is because of the parity, because of the draft, because of so many factors, every season starts out 0-0. And I think the Bengals were 31st or 30th in the draft order at some point two years ago. And now last year they were in the Super Bowl. So um, that tells you a lot about the potential that every year can be the year. And if I ever lose the excitement, that's, 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 uh, that's when we, don't, we shouldn't be in the business because um, it is always exciting. The expectations are always high. Um, and, but you have to manage that. Um, it's a tough business football, highly competitive. Um, but I think we as ownership and our whole organization um, we're, we're hopeful as ever this year because of the new coach, the new GM, what we've seen in training camp, and just a lot of work ahead of us, though. And 
We know it doesn't come easy. And we're trying day and night to get our fans those Super Bowl championships they deserve. They've yearned for for so long. And um, that's that's what keeps us going. And I think that's a that's a great message for Vikings fans to hear. And I think a good place for me to to put the pin on the Vikings and transition more into soccer now. And so you more recently, you and your brother as well, recently purchased the Orlando FC as long along with the NWSL team, the Orlando Pride. Why was that an investment that you thought was was worth making and a venture you thought was was worth getting into? Well, we we we, uh, we had a journey here for multiple years uh, looking at MLS when we built our stadium in Minnesota. In fact, we uh, we looked to bring a team there. They went with another group there. We we were minority partners with a fellow Princetonian, John Ingram in Nashville for three years, and uh, uh, we enjoyed that experience very much. But then. Uh, you know, we're, we're in the sports management business. And when the opportunity came in Orlando uh, with a, a, a more recent history, but a very rich history. And uh, they also have purple, which is a nice, nice touch. Don't have to go too far on the wardrobe, <laughs> front, but uh, a great market. We've done business in, in Central Florida for, for many years as well. So it, it was a logical fit for us. And just long term, we just, you know, I, I love the game of soccer. I have uh, my wife and I have four. For now, adult children, they all played youth soccer, so we're familiar with the sport. And um, the idea that I do think there's a tremendous growth opportunity here. Uh, I think so many young people playing soccer and the level of play at MLS continues to grow. Now we just announced a new deal with Apple TV, uh, which I think will be the next the next uh, step, step as we move forward and advance the league, not just in the play, but in uh, growing viewership, growing involvement, engagement. And we see it in all the all the franchises. Uh, many communities really are embracing it. Orlando is no exception. And in fact, we have a big, uh, we're trying for our first trophy uh, coming up Wednesday, September 7th. We're playing against Sacramento in uh, the U.S. Open Cup final. So that'll be an exciting moment. And uh, that's on the men's side. And on the women's side, uh, the, the NWSL is a young, growing league the top level of women's soccer in the world. And there's some incredible athletes and that's also an incredible experience. And we, we have a great sports management team that uh, we brought into Orlando to help us run uh, two great franchises. Yeah. And exactly what you just mentioned, especially on the MLS side, I'm a big premier league fan. And I think yesterday or the games on Saturday, there were three different games with goal involvement from former MLS players who, used to be in the MLS, now in the Premier League. And so you just mentioned also, currently the NWSL has the top talent in the world, whereas in the MLS people, it's still predominantly in Europe. Do you see a future in where, in which the top talent in their prime does want to come and play in the MLS? Do you see that as a, as a possibility uh, in the future? I think, I think let's go step by step here. I think um, the MLS league is growing every year, steps and bounds. And I know, you know, I know, I know European soccer is the top shelf of, of, of world uh, world football. And uh, the idea, though, is MLS to keep growing and escalating the performance. And we have a League's Cup performance uh, tournament coming up next year, which will be a regular uh, a tournament, which involves Liga MX and MLS, where the best clubs from both, both leagues participate and compete. So... Uh, MLS is is gradually rising all the time, and and we're investing a lot in academies and young talent. So we just sold a player uh, over to England, and yes, many young American soccer players. Their dream is to play in Europe, and we understand that. 
But there's the MLS is very much part of the world market, and players and play will go both ways. Yeah, and so it's just my last soccer-related question. With the World Cup coming up in a few months, um, what are your expectations for for Team USA? How far do you see them potentially being able to go? Well, I, I'm certainly excited. Uh, the USA will be in the, in the tournament and uh, looking forward to their going as far as they can go. I'd like them to exceed uh, their best performances that they've had in the World Cup over the years. It'll be a real statement where American soccer is going, and uh, they're not in the easiest bracket uh, growing out. Uh, England's a tough one, and there's a tough, tough competition there. Uh, but I think the U.S. is, is ready to move on to the next round and then make some hay maybe like they did a couple of years back. And it'll be a great setup for 2026. We're excited MLS in terms of the fact that the World Cup is coming to North America. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll do our part to help uh, energize that. And I think it'll reintroduce many American fans to the beauty of the game, as well as the fact that MLS, how much it's elevated, it could be another opportunity post-World Cup to continue their engagement in soccer. Yeah, and I know they just announced the venues quite recently. Did Minnesota or Orlando get any of the games? No, did not. No. And, uh, uh, but there are some great venues and some great spots. And uh, I look forward to, along with your listeners and yourself, to potentially uh, participating and viewing those games from those venues. Yeah, for sure. And I think with that, that is, and again, we're right up at time. I, th I always like that it, it ends up being right where it needs to be time-wise. I never like to go over over people's times. That's no, fine. No, no worries. <laughs> And so I think that's a, a perfect place for me to put a pin, a pin on this episode and actually the whole alumni series. So this has been eight great episodes. Thanks, to, Thank you to everyone who's listened to every single one of these episodes. Thank you, Mark, for coming on and being the last one to, to put a cap on this series for me. <laughs> Lauren, thank you for doing this. I think uh, uh, I have such great respect for Princeton University and, of course, the incredible alumni and and I wish you well with your podcast and, and, and your broadcast. But thanks for bringing Princeton uh, even more out there with your podcast. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. And thank you for everyone listening. This has been another episode of Go With The Flow. Thank you. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go.